0: Thank you, Pastor Todd. You always serve us so well. Good morning, everybody. As the kids are uh, di- being dismissed, we would uh, invite you to turn with us to the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be working our way through chapter three today. If you don't have, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. If you don't have a Bible, um, the seat in front of you there should be a Bible underneath, and we're on page one hundred and thirty in those Bibles. If you're new to the scriptures, the chapter number is the, the larger number on the page and the smaller numbers are the verses. And we'll be looking through 1 Samuel chapter 3. There is uh, a team here this week from Oklahoma who is uh, from Henderson Hills Baptist Church serving among our students. I want to welcome them today. Would you all wave? Yes. Uh, Jimmy, is this the third, fourth trip? Fourth. So this is the fourth time at spring break a group has come out to work with uh, the collegiate ministry and international ministry. So thank you all for coming. We're really encouraged to have you here. By way of introduction, before we read the text, you know, it's true that sometimes in some places God goes dark. Now Don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that there are occasions when God becomes dark. Um, impure or unholy. In that sense, God is light and there is no darkness in Him at all, ever. What I mean when I say sometimes in some places God goes dark is that there are occasions in which God ceases to speak. At times, God is silent. What a horrifying reality. Take, for example, when Israel, the northern kingdom, in 722 B.C. was uh, besieged and taken into captivity. They were exiled. The exile included, as Amos foretold, not just removal from the land of Israel, but removal from the voice of God. Amos chapter 8 says this. It says in verses 11 and 12, they'll be on the screens. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. Brothers and sisters, far worse than a physical famine that limits the amount of food we intake is a spiritual famine in which God limits the intake of His Word. Now, the silence of God might not strike you as particularly dreadful, but I hope after hearing this passage read and explained that you'll come to see that what you and I both Need most is the Word of God every day. Hundreds of years before Amos prophesied in that passage in Amos 8, there was another period of silence from God. There was a period of relative silence during what was called the Days of the Judges. These so are the front portion of the book of Samuel represents this time. The opening verse in our chapter this morning describes it in chilling detail. Look there at verse 1 with me of 1 Samuel chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering in the presence to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Sin and hard hardness had it caused this infrequency of visions. We know from this time period that many, many Israelites had turned their backs on God by choosing to live as though they were their own little kings and queens over their own little kingdoms. As it says at the end of the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Those are terrifying words. But even perhaps more than just the general sin of the people or the particular sins of the priests. The priests were there to, to mediate between God and people, to pray, to hold up the sacrifices, to lift high the name of God, to represent Him and His Word. But these priests were corrupt. We've seen already 1 Samuel 1 and 2 that Eli's physically old, and spiritually weak. And his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were far worse. They didn't even know the Lord. They made a mockery of the temple and the sacrifices. They not only didn't mediate for the people, they got in the way of the worship of God. So an infrequency of God's word was one of the consequences of their persistent unrepentance. Silence was God-sent judgment. Friend, do you ever fear the same? We'll see this morning from 1 Samuel 3 that God is faithful. He had promised to make a holy people for himself, a people who would know and love and enjoy and share his word. And so the silence of God was temporary. The silence of God didn't get the final word. God will be known by His word and will make His word known in His time. First Samuel 3 records such a time. Jonathan is going to come now and read for us the whole chapter, starting in First Samuel chapter three, all the way through to chapter four, verse one. This so is Samuel.
1: here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Uh, therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel! And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end, and I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me, from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you, brother. Uh, After probably the story of David and Goliath, this is the most well-known chapter in the book of Samuel. I hope this morning it's an encouragement To you as you consider our walk with Christ together. If you look back in the introductory paragraph or two, you'll see that the first scene of this brilliant chapter begins with Eli. Eli is old, it's night, and Eli's not doing his work in the temple. Instead, he's in his own place, he's at home asleep. Verse 2 says that his eyesight had begun to grow dim. Certainly, that means that in his agedness, he was beginning or had already reached a point of being unable to see. But it certainly seems that there's more here than just a reference to his eyes. Eli couldn't see physically, but he also couldn't see very well spiritually. There was no frequent vision from God. If you were with us last week, you learned from chapter 2 that Eli's time, his family's time as spiritual leaders, as priests, were coming to an end. He and his sons had failed to see and hear and obey God. And so their vision from God had grown dark. Brothers and sisters, if spiritual leaders fail to be spiritual men, the church will suffer monumentally. And yet, we need not fear because God's Word will be known. God will be known because God will make sure that His Word is known. And so as Christians, we can have hope. There's a hint of this hope in verse 3 when it says that the lamp of God had not yet gone out. This is, again, probably a reference by the narrator to something physical, but also something symbolic. Let's think first together about the physical. If you've read through the book of Exodus or Leviticus, you may remember that inside the temple, just outside the innermost room, was a lampstand. And on that lampstand was a candle. And this candle, God had said, was to be burning from dusk till dawn every single night. And in that way, it was symbolic of the light and the presence of God. And so the lamp of God not being out yet is, on one hand, just a clear reference to the fact that it was night But it seems there's also symbolic meaning here, too. God was not speaking often, but God would not be silent forever. God's word was rare, and the good light it cast upon the people was fading. But God will never leave his people fully and finally without his word. See, his word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. God's voice will not be snuffed out forever. And this hope is bound up in the little guy named Samuel. Samuel's there laying in the temple. He's doing what Eli was supposed to have been doing. And God will raise him up in this chapter to be a new mouthpiece so that the word of God can be heard Again, in the temple, Samuel is likely half sleeping, half tending to that candle, making sure the oil didn't run out. And in that deafening silence, he heard: "Samuel." Did anybody else notice that light? That was amazing. This side of the room is confused. This side is amazed. Maybe it'll happen over here next time. But as he's laying there, he hears, Samuel! So naturally, of course, as the attentive young man he is, he gets up, he runs over to Eli, and he says, Yes, Eli, what do you need? And Eli, groggily, perhaps grumpily, says, I didn't call you. Verses 4 to 8, this happens repeatedly. But what at first seems rather amusing is incredibly instructive. Three times Samuel heard something, assumed it was Eli, ran to see what he needed, only to find out it wasn't Eli. His attentiveness is remarkable. Samuel had never heard God talk. In fact, the story seems to tell us it didn't even occur to him that what he might be hearing could be the voice of God. And the narrator tells us explicitly why in verse 7. It says, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So three times he hears, Samuel, runs to Eli. Yes, Eli wasn't me. I find it amazing that Samuel kept trying again. We're a church with a lot of young people. Young people, can you imagine yourself getting up that many times? Wouldn't you have said after the first or second, that old geezer's going nuts. I'm staying in bed. But Samuel kept getting up. One of the things that stands out here is that it took Eli, the man who was supposed to know God so well, took Eli this many times to get a clue. But Eli, just like all of us, is a bit of a mixed bag. There are ways in which he can be commended, and there are ways in which he's a bit of an embarrassment. But what he does do is he helps Samuel get equipped to hear from God. He says, Samuel, if it happens again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears. And what happens next is incredible. One of the very high points in the biblical story. It says in verse 10, and the Lord came and stood calling as at other times. Brothers and sisters, I hope you're getting together, whether it's um, at home or in a restaurant, but you're meeting up with another brother or sister in Christ and reading through the text we're going to cover ahead of time. You'll get a lot more out of Sunday morning if you'll do that. One of the things, if you've read through this, you probably noticed is that the narrator inserts a detail here that wasn't true in the other times the Lord called Samuel. Did you catch it? In fact, there's two details. The first three times Samuel's called, all that we know of is the calling of Samuel. We just hear Samuel. But here, it says the Lord himself showed up it says that the Lord not only called, but the Lord came. This is extremely atypical in the whole biblical story. And not only that, it says that he called Samuel, Samuel. That's not a misprint. It's a point of emphasis. See, just like when the angel intervened, on the mountain, as Abraham had that knife raised high to sacrifice his son. And the angel said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. And just like Jacob, when Jacob was considering whether or not he should take the family to Egypt in order to be spared the, from the famine, and God came and God said, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob! And Jacob said, here I am. And perhaps most significantly, just like when the Lord appeared in the burning bush to Moses to call him to lead the people out of slavery. And the Lord said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Friend, we're being told here that this is one of those monumental Enormously significant moments in the whole history of humanity. By the word Samuel. Samuel. Here in this fourth attempt, Samuel says, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Oh, brothers and sisters, I pray that every time you open your Bible... You will say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Samuel. (laughs) Didn't work that time. But don't misunderstand, the story isn't in the end about Samuel, it's about God. Do you see the long suffering, the patience, the kindness of God? I mean, you think you're busy. God had other stuff he could have been doing, but he kept staying and kept saying, Samuel and waiting. Samuel and waiting. This story shows the immense patience of God. How kind of God to keep calling Samuel. How kind of God to keep calling us when we're not listening. Now, verses 11 through 14 give the content of the message that God gave to Samuel. It's the first in many, many, many messages that God will give Samuel. But notice the focus is not on what God looked like. It's not on how God showed himself in a physical way. There's literally no explanation about that at all. The focus is not on what God appeared to be, but rather on what God said. God makes himself known through his word. His word is his very power. Think back to the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How? With words. God's word carries with it the very presence and power of God. God's disclosure of Himself here in 1 Samuel 3 is through His Word. Now the content of this message, if you were here last week with us, or you've read 1 Samuel 1 and 2, is of no surprise to you. Because we already heard it. This unnamed man of God showed up in chapter 2, and he told Eli personally, what was going to happen to him. But it seems that Samuel knew nothing about that. As far as Samuel knew, Eli and his sons are the powerful priests whose family would remain in power as the mediators between God and people forever. It would pass from generation to generation to generation as they would offer sacrifices and lift prayers and speak on God's behalf. And so in Samuel's mind, Samuel's just the janitor hanging around at the temple. He's just the water boy. He's just the stagehand on the great redemptive story of God's work. He's a nobody. Eli, Hophni, Phinehas, these are the people that matter. These are the people who would hear from God. Not the nobody, not Samuel. Samuel. That's crazy. But here God spoke. And he spoke not to Eli directly. He spoke to Samuel. Verses 11 to 14 are hard to read. They contain the divine judgment that was about to fall on Eli's family. They describe a corrupt priesthood coming to an end. And certainly to our modern sensibilities, as we read them, perhaps you're remarkably troubled. One thing that helps to remember is that Hophni and Phinehas had made a mockery of the sacrifices. They had stood in the way of God's people meeting with God. And Eli had permitted them to do so. They showed total disregard, complete contempt for the means that God had chosen to apply cleansing and forgiveness to the people of God. Therefore, they would remain in their sins forever. They brought about this judgment. No other means were available. You see, they spurred and disregarded and spit upon the very acts of obedience God had given that His people might be assured that they're right with Him. So they would reap what they sowed. Friends, there's nowhere else for them to go. The same is true today Jesus. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're undecided about Jesus Christ, understand what's at stake. If you want a relationship with God, if you want the crushing weight of your guilt and shame to be lifted, if you want to know you'll meet your maker and hear good words from him, If you want to live for what matters and not waste your entire life on temporary pursuits, you cannot remain undecided about Jesus. The witness of the Scriptures is clear. Jesus is the sacrifice for sinners. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Crucified in place of sinners, risen victorious to reign forever. This is God's only means of being made right with him. If you reject Jesus forever, you'll get the same fate Eli's family got. Your guilt will never be resolved. No matter anything good you might do. Jesus is God's chosen means. Run to him. There is forgiveness in him. Now Samuel got this very, very tough message from God. And then he had to lay there. His mind must have been racing. The fate of the man who raised him had been foretold to him. The unending judgment of God had been shared. Verse 15 says, He opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Now in so doing, as the morning dawned and he opened the doors to the temple, then a new era began for the people of God. You see, Samuel would become the first in a long line of people throughout the rest of the Old Testament called prophets. And their job, these men were set aside by God to speak on God's behalf. Sometimes the word the prophets would give was a word of mercy and grace. Sometimes the word was a word of judgment. But always... What God said was good and right and just and true. Understandably, as we read through the text, you may have noticed that Samuel was a bit reluctant to pass the message along to Eli. But he did. You can almost still picture Eli hunched over, probably finger-wagging, a little grumpily, He says, You better tell me everything. Eli took Samuel's words as the words of God. And heroically, he received this judgment well. Now, look with me closely at verse 19, would you? And Samuel grew. And the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. That means this was the start of something new. Samuel began often saying, thus says the Lord, and then repeating what God told him. And none of those words falling to the ground meant that what he said came true, that he was trustworthy. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, Sounds like some weird fragrance, doesn't it? Dan is the northernmost city in Israel. Beersheba is the southernmost city. This is a way of saying all of God's people from beginning to end, from top to bottom, heard from God. The word of God was no longer rare. It was renowned. All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself at Shiloh. How? By the word of the Lord. Now, if you look at the first phrase of the next chapter, and the word of the Lord came to all Israel. Friends, what started in 1 Samuel 1 and 2, the shocking, tremendous reversals that were foretold are now beginning to happen. The immediate Immediate reversals are that the corrupt Hophni and Phinehas are brought low and the feeble but faithful Samuel is lifted up. The impeding of God's word is brought to an end and the frequent hearing of God is now lifted up. It's incredible. And God continued to speak to Samuel. And Samuel faithfully repeated all that God said. We might say that Samuel became a megaphone for the voice of God. This is a beautiful chapter, isn't it? I also think it's a chapter that's incredibly easy to miss the entire point. Here's what I mean. We are a people who prize experiences over words. We are constantly looking for the newest, greatest, most vibrant experience. And we are undervaluing words. We see them as flippant, cast around easily. Perhaps not all that meaningful. And so when we come to a chapter like 1 Samuel 3, I think what happens is when we read verse 1 and we see the word visions, and then we see verse 10, the Lord came and stood. Then our minds begin to wander into, well, geez, I wish God, God would talk to me. I wish the Lord came and stood. Then all my doubts would be gone. My sin problems would be resolved. My suffering wouldn't be all that bad. I'd really have a firm grasp on the truth that God actually exists. So probably, as I've been talking this morning, some of you, the ones who aren't asleep, have been chewing on, what I want experiences like that. But then if that's run its course, then you've inevitably come to this point. Well, I haven't had experiences like that. God hasn't shown up in some way that I could visually see Him. And I haven't heard the audible voice of God. And so then where does your mind naturally go next? Is this not real? Does God work for everybody else but not for me? What have I done to have God withhold and zip it? Why is God playing hide and seek with me? Friend, maybe you're bothered because you're not having experiences with God like Samuel. But but then what happens is it comes full circle. And we actually talk to one another as though that's been happening. God led me. I feel called. We talk like we're hearing the audible voice of God. And it just further grinds down into doubt, in which this gap of what we think people around us are actually experiencing gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It's easy to misunderstand this chapter as commending new revelation from God for today. If that were what this chapter was about, then here would be the main point. If God's not appearing to you, something's wrong with you. If God's not giving you fresh new revelations and appearings, then you must be a particularly bad person But friends, the assumption made in this chapter is not that we need new appearances from God. The point is that God stopped being silent. God gave his word. God provided a prophet to speak on his behalf. And... The calling of Samuel is one of those extraordinary occurrences in the entire biblical story. But notice how the chapter ends. The word of God came to all Israel. All the people heard from God. That was ordinary. Samuel's experience is remarkably different than the experience everybody else was having. Because the Lord came and stood and talked to him directly. And yet for the rest, for everybody else, God spoke to them through Samuel. Israel's subsequent hearing of God's word was normal. Samuel's hearing from God was abnormal. Friends, God is known by his word and he will make his word known to his people in his time. And if you look at verse 21, it makes this point incredibly clear. God revealed himself to his people. How? By his word. No mention in any way of new appearances of God. Simply the voice of God through the prophet. All Israel didn't need a physical appearance from God. They needed a prophet to speak God's word. 1 Samuel 3 ends with the grace-filled breaking through of the word of God. The the free-flowing, frequent, life-giving word of God. Silence is over. Grace is being heard. That's normal for the people of God. Now, what do we do, though, with a message like this? Well, brothers and sisters, let me say it very directly. You and I do not need a new appearance or a fresh word. God has already given his final word. John's gospel begins this way. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And later, as you read earlier, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the full and final revelation of God. Nothing else is needed. The book of Hebrews puts it this way, long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That began with Samuel. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he had appointed the heir of all things, that through him also he created the world. He, this is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, who upholds the universe by the power of his word. After making purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Friends, we need God to say nothing more than He has said. God has spoken in His Son. Amen? And the record of all that God has done in and through Christ is the Bible. So, the application for us from 1 Samuel chapter 3 is that we need look nowhere else to hear from God than His Scripture. God appears in His Word. God is known through his word. And this explains the entire ethos of this church family. Church on Mill is not flashy, it's not fancy. We do not have slick programs and endless social activities for your amusement. Our buildings, all of them, are woefully in need of replacement. Your leaders don't have commanding personalities. We are just a redeemed people who gather here that we might hear from God. There is nothing particularly special about us other than God has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And now, in response, we gather around His Word to hear and obey. Brothers and sisters, if you skip opportunities to open God's Word, alone, together in groups of friends of two and three, parents with your kids, with non-Christians who don't yet know Christ, Here on Sunday morning, husbands with your wives, older women with younger women. If we skip this, then we skip God's means of speaking. But if we open, if we obey what we hear, if we ask God to make his word known to us and understood by means of his spirit, Then we will hear God. May God never go silent among us. May we hear, may we obey. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that in Your grace and mercy You have not remained silent. That in Christ came the full and final revelation of God. Father, I pray for those here today who don't know You that You, by means of Your Spirit, would now use Your Word to reveal Yourself to them. We pray this morning that sinners would turn from their sin to the life and joy and forgiveness and hope that can be theirs in Christ. And We ask you, God, as brothers and sisters for the rest of us, as a church family, that you'd forgive us for the times that we have failed to listen and obey, to take seriously what you have said, to abide in you by hearing and obeying. We thank you that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we believe that word. We thank you that our relationship with you is secure despite our ongoing battles with indwelling, remaining sin. We ask you, God, that we would increasingly become a people who simply hear and in your strength obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.